Hello there, I'm Claire Dale, the founder and a director at Companies in Motion. I'm joined today by Julia Colin, Head of Talent at BAE Systems, and Helen Cresswell, a leadership consultant and transpersonal coach. They've been working together for two years, creating and delivering talent and learning initiatives for the company's leadership community, with a specific focus on high potential future leaders. We're going to talk about physical intelligence. I'm also joined by Pat Payton, fellow director at Companies in Motion and co-author of our book on physical intelligence. Over to you, Pat, to kick off the conversation today. Thank you, Claire. Julia and Helen, our aim with this podcast is to share best practices from your perspective and also to consider more widely how organizations can best support their leaders, especially young leaders, which can be a particularly challenging transition point in a person's career. And beyond that, to talk about all leaders and especially how the coronavirus crisis is impacting their ability to lead in the current environment. How does that sound? Uh, this is Julia here. That sounds great. Right in our sweet spot and uh, good to be here. Thank you. That's perfect, Pat and Claire. Great to be here too. Okay, so Helen, um, I think this first question is coming to you and I know, Julia, you're going to uh, jump in as well. Can I first ask you, what do you think are some of the key challenges that young leaders face working in corporations today? Yeah, sure. I think it's really pertinent what Pat was saying there in the intro, uh, seeing as we're recording this in the week that um, coronavirus is certainly uh, reaching its peak here in the UK uh, and also in the US. Um, we've been talking for a long time now about VUCA, haven't we, uh, uh, around the industry, and I think there's no time like the present to suddenly realise what that actually means. So when we look at young leaders, they're walking into a time which is just changing so rapidly, isn't it? Their time pressures are high, the demands on technology, the changes in technology, um, that whole virtual nature of management as well. So I see the, the, the stresses that they have to keep up to date with their skills, manage multi-generational workforces. There's a huge focus on self-reliance in the middle of this too. And I see with leaders that they are very easily going into a state of overwhelm. So anything that we can possibly equip them with to work at a level of pace and to build resilience without moving into a stressful state is, I think, really critical. So, you know, relationships are everything, aren't they, in leadership? And uh, they come in so many different forms these days that anything we can do to help them centre themselves to bring the best to the business and to themselves is, is really critical. Yes, and, and, and what you're saying about self-reliance applies so much to the virtual world, doesn't it? Because we are, in a sense, mm. on our own a little bit more in our own space. And, and we have to, mm. our self-leadership needs to be, you know, really top-notch in order to be able to facilitate this sometimes global processes that other people are involved in and give them the spirit yeah. and energy to carry on. Mm. I think what we see is that, you know, if somebody starts at an organisation now, however young they are, there's an expectation that they actually are going to be um, uh, savvy with the technology. They are going to have a certain understanding. They're going to have the self-reliance to ask the questions that need to be asked. So 
um, people need to be up on their own two feet very, very quickly. And um, which I think is, I think it's a tragedy. I think there's, there's probably not, not enough support yeah. for our yeah. young leaders. Yeah. You know, that's interesting because even before this Karen crisis, we were living in a time of unprecedented change and much less tolerance and patience. And as you say, mm. uh, giving people the ability to develop at a reasonable pace. Mm, yeah. So, and, you know, mm. so when you think about all of that and the need for self-reliance and the need to build resilience and, and the fact that relationships are everything, and isn't that the truth? Yes, absolutely. What, you know, what led yeah. you to incorporate physical intelligence training into the curriculum for young leaders at BAE Systems? So um, one was because you guys came so highly recommended. We, we had to see what it was, was all about. Um, and I think at BAE Systems, we're a, we're a logical company predominantly. We we're, spend a lot of times in our heads. So we absolutely liked the shift of focus onto the body, onto the physical self and the growing of that self-awareness of what's going on in, inside your body. And the way that we were able to engage the logical BAE systems in that is that there was a, essentially what you're getting is a whole lot of new data, a whole lot of meta information about yourself, about your sensations. And I think understanding those sensations and how they inform you know how you present and who you are was a big insight for us and for BAE systems at large I think the phrase is that you build intimate detachment so you the more you understand about what's going on in your body the more you have it under your under your control and it's not hijacking you off into ways of being that you know are not preferable in a leader so it was the attraction of growing physical intelligence as part of growing emotional intelligence and that whole holy grail of self-awareness of who you are as a person and how you present as a leader. That's what attracted us and, and continues to attract us. Mm. I really like what you're saying there about this intimate detachment. And I think you're so right. Whenever we can name something, you know, see it as something that's concrete and real, then it becomes less uncertain. So our cortisol levels immediately drop. If we start to add in this, the chemical story, uh, the, the cortisol levels go down as soon as you name something. And then you're in much better state to look at the rest of the data that's around emotionally. Yeah, physically, absolutely. It's like, okay, I know what's going on there in my belly or in my heart or, you know, the flutters or the, the, the racing heart. I can name those things detach myself from them and then you know I can still be creative in my group meeting or in my presentation or in you know giving that headspace to and allowing myself to be more in the moment and therefore more innovative I think and more and more inclusive and all those great things. Mm. Helen and Julia right now uh, as you watch people navigate this crisis what observations have you made about uh, the group that we've trained and their ability to navigate maybe more effectively because of their knowledge of physical intelligence? Oh, well, I have to say they're a, a really remarkable group and it's been a great, great privilege for both of us to, to work with them. Um, 
when they joined the organization, they had such a thirst um, for the new, um, as well as such a, I guess, a, a focus on making sure they did the right thing. And I think where um, our development programs have really helped them and where physical intelligence particularly has helped us within that is, is allowing this bridge to form between that, that real excitement and that, that forward thinking and that understanding of self and also knowing and having the courage to understand when they can um, speak out around maybe old practices that don't work so well um, and are not so, um, so helpful or authentic. I, I see with all of them, because they're a very, very bright bunch, they will pick up theories very, very quickly. Uh, what physical intelligence has helped them do is actually put it into practice, and it's given them um, that experiential um, sensation of being able to truly understand what's happening and connect it with you know, a lot of the neuroscientific evidence that they've been soaking up as well. <laughs> uh, but now they, they are presenting as so much more centered. Mm. Um, they have um, much more insight into their, their personal impact on others. And, uh, and they have a completely different toolkit now. So they can avoid the sort of the pseudo psychology approach to why is somebody behaving that way and go straight into understanding um, those sensations and those uh, um, uh, the biological impact of certain scenarios and have much more uh, actually much more empathy which is a word which is banded mm. around a lot isn't it mm. <laughs> with our leaders but they've got a, a real sense of it now and a real understanding and I think sense in the in the widest possible terms so they're starting to beautifully embody their leadership style, I have to say. <laughs> yeah, there's something, there's something really concrete about it. That's, yeah. isn't it? It's, it's really, it's really yeah. tangible. And I'd yeah. like to go back to, to, the, to the first question when we were saying about how self-reliant new leaders had to be and, and all the virtual technology they have to cope with and just you know, the expectation is that they're just, you know, on it immediately. And at mm. the same time, the paradox is in lots of corporations, they're still having to deal with very, I think, um, Helen, you used the, the phrase old practices. So some very mm. traditional structures as well and some very hierarchical ways of being. So they have to be able to um, have the grounded sense of being able to deal with the whole VUCA element and have some very traditional hierarchical based conversations. So, you know, we're asking them mm. to do it all. So it's good that they come from a, a grounded, concrete space. Yeah. I, I think what's also really interesting is, um, again, as, as Julia was mentioning, you know, we're, we're in a, um, a highly cerebral environment with um, lower engineers. And like I say, you know, the ability to absorb theories is, is quite astounding to be able to absorb mm -hmm. them and articulate them. But they, as I said, then the embodiment of the practice of that is, is quite different. And to be able to bring um, a suite of understanding in, as physical intelligence uh, does do, it, it, it brings that whole piece around um, uh, mastery of being a human being uh, <laughs> alongside mastery of becoming a chartered engineer or, a, or whatever we might be, a chartered accountant. So there's a, great, um, there's a great desire, isn't there, to achieve these states of mastery in all of our professional skills yet simply that ability to, to master that, that beingness as a human is uh, not quite so well regarded. So uh, Julia yeah. and I are very much aligned on that as a real skill set in itself. So again, the physical intelligence, um, cultural, yeah. you know, philosophy just works brilliantly, brilliantly. 
So we're, in, we're encouraging everybody to do their 10,000 hours of physical intelligence in order to become complete masters. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we love that. Yeah. <laughs> we do love that. And if you start to build, um, you know, these, th these habits, uh, physically intelligent habits into your everyday, I think 10,000 hours, you could notch up for fairly quickly, although it sounds like a lot. And one thing that I'm struck by is uh, that you talked about empathy levels seems to seem to have been raised as a result of this mm. uh, self-awareness. And isn't it mm. the case that um, when cortisol levels are a little bit high as a leader and you feel you're firefighting all the time, the first thing to go is a sense of what on an emotional level, on a developmental level, your team might need or your, your part of the organization might need. And so, yeah, it just struck me as you were talking how important it is to know that your oxytocin levels need to be high and your serotonin yeah. levels need to be high mm -hmm. as well. So oxytocin for creating those relationships and social bonds and serotonin for feeling that you have your self-esteem in place and that you're not under, under threat when, when things are difficult, but you can manage things with fluidity and flexibility. So a real marriage of strength and flexibility there. Yeah, mm. and I think the, the important thing is, with, you know, because having experienced the workshop is that people learn, and certainly um, the group that we always, you know, they take away those life hacks that can then, um, you know, I, okay, I need to access that that hormone. What you know? What do I remember? What do I have to do? And particularly, I remember the serotonin one because I know that involves eating dark chocolate. So I'm chocolate. <laughs> very happy with that one. That sticks in everyone's brain. That <laughs> one. We're asked about that all the time. That and, the, and eating the bananas. Yeah, and the bananas and smiling. That's your yes. serotonin. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. I was just going to add there, there's just so much um, talk about being an authentic leader, you know, and it's like, well, what does authenticity mean? And, and um, I'm just picking up, you know, what you're, what you're saying there is, is that um, the articulation of it is one thing. But again, you know, with our, our young leaders here, they've been able to have a language around uh, talking authentically to sensation and to feelings. Mm -hmm. and, and so often that's just such a, an, an, um, an unspoken arena, isn't it? You know, and it's seen as the, uh, the fluffy side of managing people and very HR-y. And, and I would always, always sort of pull them up on that and say, no, this is around behavioral sciences. And it's actually about your biology mm -hmm. and it's understanding all of those processes. So mm -hmm. to give them the language to be able to um, genuinely and authentically talk about um, the way that we work is really, really powerful, yeah. really powerful. I mean, that leads us on to talking about um, the future. What do we think the future of training and development for new leaders is going to look like? What I've discovered in the last, I suppose, couple of weeks is just the level of intimacy that we're getting with um, communicating on a, a virtual um, basis. There's a level of authenticity when you get a little backdrop of somebody's office or their bedroom or the, or their sitting room that's lacking people put on I think more of a work persona when they're in the office there's a, a level of intimacy with um, the virtual communication that I hadn't really anticipated so I've learned things about 
my colleagues in the last couple of weeks, colleagues that I've worked with for a long time that are new to me. So I think one of the obvious futures for learning and development is that we make use of that, um, of that virtual technology. Um, it's more sustainable and in some ways, paradoxically, more intimate than being in a, in a room together. Isn't it interesting? You know, I was thinking myself, someone asked me this question just the other day. Is this a more intimate or a less intimate platform? And I said, mm. well, bef before the, the coronavirus, if you were going to zoom in to a large conference room full of people, it would have been less intimate than if you'd been there in person. And yet, now that we're all in each other's homes, it feels more intimate. We are mm. even, you know, meeting children, sometimes unintentionally meeting children and, and other family <laughs> members. So it is an opportunity to connect at a deeper level personally that we may not have had without the crisis. Yeah, couldn't agree more. Because I think, you know, we, um, we put a face on in um in our corporate world, don't we? And uh, and and that can that veil can very quickly quickly fall away, can't it? When some, suddenly somebody's coming into our home, um, and I, I know a lot of people will, will be set up with a with a home office, but um, I think you know even in those personal environments, as, as Pat you were saying, you know, suddenly a uh, a dog will be barking in the background, <laughs> or, yes. or a family member will come in, and and all of a sudden you're then looking at, at again your whole self. And, and this is back to that word I was using earlier about this embodiment. You no, know, we, we, can't, we can't separate ourselves so much, can we? We have to naturally start integrating our many different personas into, into one good, balanced, healthy version. And, uh, and then a way of understanding how to do that, again, is, is mastering um, all those beautiful um, hormones and chemicals that we've been talking about. So, again, a huge, huge help. Yes, and, and the chemistry of, of great leadership is, is a good high risk tolerance. So women and men need, need testosterone. I think we were talking about this on the, the workshop that we did together. And balance cortisol. So we're ready to get our skin in the game, but it's not going to take us into throwing our weight around or putting people down and so on. Um, and then variable oxytocin. And I think we've always known that leaders need to be able to ramp up compassion and really feel it and mean it when they do need to give the tough messages. I don't think we've ever really discovered how to, to get the oxytocin working as well as it could to facilitate us really knowing our leaders because of that difficulty of maintaining a professional persona, mm -hmm. the face that you were talking about, Helen. So perhaps mm. it's a very exciting time for the future of training and we'll, we'll recognise that this different chemical balance is going to facilitate the context where we care more about the people and, and the work as well. Yeah, you know, I'm thinking beyond just the training or the current moment in time, if we emerge from this crisis and we think about the future, what would a physically intelligent organization look like and how do we actually get there very good question yeah <laughs> so, um, a physically intelligent organization as well as an emotionally intelligent organization would have people being able to bring their whole selves to work or not to work as the case may be in the in the new world the need for really strong self-awareness and your impact on others and what's going on in, in their bodies and in, in their hearts, then you can have 
really appreciative and authentic conversations. So it does sound really new world to me. If everybody's dropping their masks and being themselves and you know everybody's allowed to bring their special talents and whole selves into the workplace, I find it quite an exciting prospect. Do you think that leadership across, uh, certainly not all, or- all organizations, but some organizations are starting to realize that there's a connection between physical intelligence and business outcomes? We know we've experienced that. Our clients have experienced that. And I'm curious to know if from your perspective, you see that, that light bulb going off above the heads of any leaders you're working with. Yeah. It's going off in pocket. We just need to make more of those connections because the science is there that says if you can distance yourself from your thoughts and your bodily sensations and name them, as we were talking about earlier, then that allows your prefrontal cortex to have the space to be creative, innovative, uh, inclusive, engaging, all all those things. Um, And that I think that light bulb goes off by think it's one of those things that it's the same as with diversity and inclusion I think you have to experience it for the light bulb to go off yeah it's interesting I I I know that uh if we can share those sorts of results which and we have them it captures attention it's difficult though because as we mentioned earlier some people view this as fluffy and yet we know that it isn't and there are so many other benefits to this that may not be directly connected to revenue generation, et cetera, et cetera, that are just as valuable. And yet in the end, it's the financial impact that gets the Mm. most immediate attention. Is that really the piece that's going to capture attention among the most senior level leaders to help spur this drive, valuing physical intelligence as more yeah. than just ticking the wellness box, let's say. Yeah. Well, you see, I, I think the well-being connection to productivity and to business outcomes, it's a known thing. Um, it's a known thing whether it's fully um, embraced and embedded. We, we could discuss that. But what I think the physical intelligence approach does is give that well-being piece a tangibility and a concreteness that is understood and appreciated by people that you know want to see the evidence they want to see the science they want to see the data and that's why it works well in an organization that likes to see evidence and likes to see see data so the data is important i still think the actual experience of a workshop is what sort of lights the blue touch paper yes and in terms of physical intelligence, that's rebalancing the dopaminergic system. It's all about speed, advancement and um, commitment to those outcomes, which we, we need. and We need to embrace mm. that. But to balance the oxytocinergic brain-body circuitry, then we're not very used to using the oxytocinergic system. Does that kind of framework um, make sense to you, mm. Julian and Helen? Yeah, well, that sort of sounds, yeah, and that sort of, feels to me like we're in the territory of the parasympathetic system and kicking that in and you know I'm also really interested in um, people taking some time to be more mindful I'm sort of uh, hesitating about introducing the word mindfulness because that has lots of different connotations for different people but 
to be able to take that moment to um, reflect before you act is, um, I, I think, really important for all organisations. Yeah. Could you ask him what a physical intelligence organisation would look like? And I think it's a genuinely more congruent um, organisation. Mm. And, uh, and I think you're absolutely right to raise the point about, you know, companies now will still be looking at the financial gains, the financial benefits of, of introducing uh, a different way of doing things. But I, I feel very strongly that there's a massive bridge happening at the moment and referring back to that old way of doing things, which is highly controlled, I have to say. Mm -hmm. and, and if you look at the amount of control we've had just in the last few weeks, you can see, you know, those systems breaking down. And what's coming through is this incredible level of cooperation and creativity isn't it so where there's a lot of control on the one hand and there's a beautiful um groundswell of of creativity and cooperation and and that can only um benefit from and be enhanced by that understanding that, that physical intelligence brings to oneself um and that's the that's the future style of leadership that i i definitely see I think it's really interesting. I was I've moved from the 20th century, which is all about psychology, isn't it? And uh, and then we get to the end of the 20th century, and all the neuroscience comes in, and our understanding of three brains, all of that congruence is starting to come together. But then, as we move into this, as we move into this new century, the the whole philosophy around physical intelligence and the application of it, I think, is taking us into that that congruent state. Um, and mm. let's look forward to. <laughs> Some fantastically creative and uh, centered leaders in the future. And amazing Absolutely. because it goes alongside the, all the research around the gut and how influential that is to mood and how we think. Absolutely. It's mm. so interesting the way science is going. Julia and Helen, it's been an absolute pleasure to speak with you, and we're so grateful that, you, uh, that you're willing to share all of this uh, wonderful insight with us today. We've talked about pace of change accelerating beyond what it already was, which was challenging enough about the fact that relationships are everything and that physical intelligence actually enhances those empathy levels and enables us to more effectively connect with each other, whether we're in a leadership role or not, and, uh, and how it helps us achieve that mastery of just being a human being alongside being an engineer or an accountant, etc. And, uh, and then making that shift, right? Moving from the old way of doing things to this new way of doing things and uh, becoming more, a more congruent organization mm. that's cooperating more effectively, creating more effectively, and then ultimately, of course, experiencing the financial benefit of that shift. And uh, we're Thrilled to know that we have champions of physical intelligence out there like both of you to help spread that message because we hear, we hear and we feel that passion from you and, and you know we believe it. So thank you very much. Please stay safe and we wish you all the best. Thank you. We're very excited about a physically intelligent future. <laughs> thank you. We're delighted to be advocates as well. You take care too. Bye-bye everyone. Thank bye -bye. you. Bye-bye. Bye.